We're starting a brand new series today called Hope Rising because we believe that God's hope shines best in the darkness and coming out of the ashes. Well, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad you're here. You look like you got an extra hour of sleep. This is my favorite Sunday of the entire year right here. So I'm glad that you've joined us. Also want to greet those who are at the Southeast Campus those who are watching online, our microsites, can we go ahead and just welcome them? Glad that you're part of the Crossing family here. Well, a few years ago, I'm at work, and Darla calls me at work, and she says, you need to come home right now. Well, if you know me, it's one of those things that when I'm at work, I'm like, don't disturb me, I'm busy. She says, it is raining in the house. So I came home and come to find out we had a toilet upstairs that had malfunctioned. It ran over for over an hour. And so it was just pouring down in the garage. So we got all the water shut off and began to clean up the water in the bathroom and started looking at things. And I thought, I think it's going to be okay. I don't think it's that bad. Well, I decided to go ahead and call in an expert. And so he told me as he began to check, he says the water has actually traveled along the, the wall to the bedroom next door about halfway up the wall and to the bedroom across the hall and the stairway and the garage, down the hallway, in the downstairs bathroom, the laundry room, the master closet, it had gone everywhere. Well, they had to bring in these industrial fans to dry the house out. There was over 20 of them. It sounded like an aircraft carrier. It ended up costing thousands of dollars in damage. And we had to begin the rebuilding process. And whenever you rebuild, it's always messy. There is no such thing as a non-messy renovation. There's drywall dust that's everywhere. You have plastic hanging. It seems like you've got everything taped off. It's so messy that in the middle of it, you begin to ask yourself, now, why am I doing this? It's not only messy, but it takes longer than you think it's going to take. Now, this is the story of my life. Darla jokes that whenever I do a project, I just say, well, it's just going to take a couple hours. It ends up taking me a couple days. If you think a project is going to take three weeks... Just plan on it taking six weeks. It always takes longer than you think it should take, and it costs more than you think. Whatever the cost you think it's going to be, just add a zero on the end because it always costs more than you think it should cost. But when you're done, you're so glad you did it. It's the same in your life. You may be in a season of rebuilding in your life, and it's messier than you think it's going to be because you have to do the emotional hard work to address these things in your life and it takes longer than you think it's going to take and you wonder why you're not getting better yet and it's harder than you ever thought that it would be that there is a cost to rebuilding your life but on the other end you're so glad that you did it and if you don't do it, you will always wish that you had. Well, today we're starting this brand new series called Hope Rising, that maybe you need some hope in your life. Maybe it's because of the events of October 1st. This just kind of has you stuck, or maybe there is something going on in your life, and you need to start this rebuilding process. Here is my goal for this series, 
My goal for this series is that you would begin to take the next steps of whatever it is in your life. Because what you will discover is that when you take those next steps, that hope will begin to emerge in your story. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. This series is based off of a book in the Old Testament, out of the book of Nehemiah. And one of the reasons why I love this story is there's no burning bushes. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There are no miracles. It's just Nehemiah who has this strong conviction to do something. But there is incredible wisdom in this book for times like this. So let me give you the background of this book. The background of this book is, is the children of Israel had gone through a season where they had turned their back on God, and they decided to do it their own way. And God had warned them. He had warned them. He said, if you don't turn back, there is going to be punishment. But they refused to turn back to God. So God allowed the Babylonians to go and to conquer Israel. And as they went and conquered Israel, they completely destroyed Jerusalem. They burned the city, they broke down the wall, they destroyed the temple, and then they took the best and the brightest back with them to Babylon. If you know the names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were four of those best and brightest that they took back to Babylon. Well, Israel was in captivity for 70 years. And then the king of Persia came along and he conquered Babylon. And he started to let the Jewish people go back to Israel. So thousands of the Jews began to migrate back to their homeland. And they rebuilt the temple, but things were not going well. And about 90 years later, Nehemiah comes on the scene. And the walls of Jerusalem are still broken down and they are still in ruins. And Nehemiah... He is the cupbearer to the king. Now, this is an important job. It's a prestigious job because he would eat and drink the king's food before the king did because if you wanted to assassinate the king, oftentimes they did it through poisoning him. And so Nehemiah would, would eat the food, drink the wine, and if he didn't die, then it was okay for the king to have the food and the wine. And so as you can imagine, there was this close trust relationship between the king and and Nehemiah. And we're going to start on Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm actually going to read the entire chapter to you. It's only 11 verses. And here's how it starts out. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hikaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And also, about Jerusalem. Now you see all of these details in here, and while that's important, why that is important for us is this is not once upon a time. This actually happened in a moment in history. Nehemiah probably has never been to Jerusalem before. He's grown up in captivity, and he's getting this report of those who have survived the exile. It's been 90 years, and the Jewish people have been migrating back to Israel over these 90 years. It says in verse 3, it says, They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Things are not going well. 
Things are not going well. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and they're lying in ruins, which means there is no protection from their enemies. The warlords from the surrounding area could come into the city and take whatever they wanted to take at any time. It was not safe to leave your home. There was a saying at this time that said, as goes the wall, so goes the city. That when the walls are destroyed, the city is destroyed. And Nehemiah says this, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. See, when he heard this news, it wasn't Nehemiah going, well, that's interesting. You know, too bad for them because I work for the king. I work in the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world. That was not his response. His response is he was broken. He says, I sat down and wept. Then he says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then he begins to process this and he says, I mourned and fasted and prayed. And he didn't pray just for a day or two. He didn't pray for a week or two. He prayed for four solid months. And he journals his prayer that he prayed to God. He says, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with his people who love him and keeps his commands. That he's reminding God of God's covenant with his people. That Nehemiah is saying, God, remember that you've made this covenant because God made a covenant with his people. And then he says, and you keep his commandments. He loved those and keep his commandments. That God had this conditional relationship with Israel. And this conditional relationship went like this. God says, here are my commands. That if you keep my commands, you will prosper. If you keep my commands, I will bless you. If you keep my commands, I will let you live in the land. But if you break my laws and, and abandon me, then I will take you out of the land that I've promised you. Nehemiah says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah just begins to confess his sins and confess the sins of the people. That his prayer is this prayer of repentance and confession. And notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. Nehemiah doesn't begin to say, God, I want you to motivate the people of Israel to rebuild the wall. He doesn't do that. He starts off with confessing his own sins, confessing the sins of his family, and confessing the sins of the people. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there. And will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. So Nehemiah says, God, remember your promise. 
I'm reminding you of your promise that you said that if your people left you, that there would be a price to pay. But you said if they come back, if they come back, then you'll restore them. God, remember your promise to Moses and remember your promise to your people. He's saying, I am part of that promise. Then he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Talking about the king that he works for. He says, give me success today in favor of him. And I love how this ends because it's just this drama that I was the cupbearer to the king. That I was the cupbearer to the king. See, Nehemiah has it made. He has this cush job. He has this job where he gets to hang out with the king, which means he gets to enjoy the king's food and the king's wine, the king's table, their presence. He has it all. But he's praying for favor from God because he's going to approach the king. And he goes to the king after these four months, and he asks for permission to go and rebuild the wall. And King Artaxerxes not only lets him go, he makes him governor of Jerusalem and says, you can have whatever you need to do the rebuilding. That whatever money you need, whatever supplies you need, everything is yours so you can begin the rebuilding. So Nehemiah, he travels to Jerusalem and he shows up and he doesn't want anyone to know that he's there. And he waits until night comes. And then he gets on a horse and he begins to ride around to see how bad the walls of Jerusalem are. He's, he's taking it all in. And then the next morning, he gathers the people together and he casts a vision to rebuild the wall. He gathers all of these people together and he says, we need to rebuild. And in chapter 2, it says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. I love this because he's saying, I've showed them how God showed up and then how this king also came along. He's, he's showing both not only the graciousness of God, but the favor that he's had with the king. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they begin this good work. Let us start rebuilding. There are such huge applications in this story for us right now. Maybe you know the feeling of something being torn down and destroyed in your life. And you think that I don't know if there's any hope. I don't know if things are ever going to get better. See, part of the wisdom of God's word, when we begin to dive into it, is not seeing if we are going to see hope rising from the rubble. It's when. Because God comes along that we are going to, if we're going to see this, we have to confront some things in our life. We have to confront some things. That if we're going to see hope begin to rise up, we've got to confront some things. See, Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. That there was this brokenness in him. He saw this great city with the walls that were all down. And there was this brokenness, which leads to the first of two questions for today. 
which is this, what's your wall? What is, what is your wall? What is broken in you? What causes you to sit down and weep? Because the path towards healing and, re- and restoration begins with brokenness. There are things in your life that if you don't confront them and start the process of rebuilding, they have potential to ruin your life and to rob you of the joy that God has for you. Here's what's interesting about this story is Nehemiah isn't the first to see this destruction. The Jewish people started coming back to Jerusalem 90 years before this. They've been coming back for 90 years. And it wasn't that they didn't notice. Everyone just learned to navigate around the broken walls. It just became part of their everyday life. They walked around the rubble. Broken walls and an unsafe city just became the norm for them. And instead of doing something about it, they adjusted their lives around the dysfunction and they acted like it was normal. I'm amazed at our capacity for self-deception. I'm amazed at our capacity when we have things in our life, when, when we have chaos and destruction in our life, that we just adjust to the dysfunction. We just learn to walk around it instead of doing something about it. We just think if we ignore it, it's just going to go away or it's going to get better. Instead of confronting these things, we just adjust to the dysfunction and it just becomes normal in our life. And God comes along and says, you don't have to stay here. You don't have to keep doing life like this. So what's your wall? What is your wall? Maybe it's the events of October 1st. That you were there and you can't get the images out of your mind. Or you were a first responder where you had to begin to rush into the danger. Or you had to deal with all of the trauma. Or maybe you were directly or indirectly affected. My daughter was at the concert and she left right before the shooting. But it is still haunting her today. That it is hard for her to come to church because... She doesn't want to be around crowds. Maybe you're like that. I've talked to others who are working through PTSD. Talked to a dad where a couple weeks ago he said he was with his son and somebody had lit some firecrackers and his son hit the ground because there's still trauma that so many people are dealing with and there's so much trauma you don't know how to move forward. See, identifying what is broken doesn't mean that it was your fault. It doesn't mean it's something that you have done for the Israelites. The destruction of the wall was not something they did. They were living in the aftermath of what someone else had done to them. Maybe that's you. For some of you, your wall is a habit you need to break. For some of you, you drink too much. Let me tell you how you know if you drink too much. That someone has said to you, I think you drink too much. Now, this is complicated, so let me just kind of just review this here for just a second. If if someone has said to you, I think you have a drinking problem, you probably do because they didn't want to tell you. And they prayed about it, and they felt guilty about it, and finally they got up the courage to mention it to you, and you wanted to deny it. Or maybe you don't even remember that they talked to you. 
because you drink too much. But deep down inside, you know it's true. And that's your wall. That's your wall. Your wall may be a prescription drug problem. That you've excused it because you have a doctor or doctors who think that you should be taking this stuff. And I know it's justified. I know that at some point in your life it's justified, but now it has turned into a problem, and that is your wall. Your wall might be an internet addiction. And it's time to admit that there is a broken part of your life. And it's going to be hard. If it were easy, you would have already addressed it. Your wall might be a broken relationship. That there is a brokenness in one of your relationships in your life. Maybe it's your marriage. You know that there's something broken between you. And it's time to stop dancing around it. But what keeps you from addressing it is every time somebody addresses it, it gets real emotional and tears start coming out. And so you just learn to avoid it and act like it's not even there. Maybe, maybe you're not married. And no matter who you date, you always seem to have the same issue. Do you know why? Because you keep taking you into every relationship. And it's a wall for you. For some of you, It's debt, and it doesn't matter how you got there or whose fault it is. It's time to get, as Dave Ramsey says, gazelle intense about taking care of it. It's time to manage finances in a way that honors God. Nehemiah sat down and he wept. Have you wept for your brokenness? See, that's not enough. You can't stop there. It's one thing to recognize your brokenness. It's quite another thing to do something about it. See, here's what Nehemiah says. He says, I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Here's the second question that we've got to deal with. Are you ready to start rebuilding? Are you ready to start rebuilding? To finally confront whatever your wall is in your life and to begin to to rebuild. And maybe you say, I want to start rebuilding, but I don't know where to begin. Let me tell you where you begin. You start with God. When Nehemiah was broken, the first thing that he did is he prayed. He started with prayer, and he reminded God of his promises. Now listen, I'm not trying to oversimplify whatever is broken in your life or to over-spiritualize what is broken in your life. But many of the issues that you're dealing with, God has already addressed. You just begin to do what God has already told you to do. You start with God. Then you get a vision for where you want to be. Nehemiah began to cast this vision of what could be. He began to cast this vision of of what life could be if they rebuilt the wall. You need to get a vision for where your life could be. I was talking to a guy at the church a few weeks ago, and I was talking to him about marriage. I said, if you want a good marriage, you find some people who have a marriage like you want and just start doing what they do. Get a vision for where you want to be so you can begin to to go on that course. Scott Whaley talked about a few months ago 
about being $125,000 in debt. And it was so daunting. It just seemed so overwhelming. But they got a vision for what it would look like to be debt-free. And it took them years. But they finally got there. You get a vision for where you want to be in your life. And you begin to adjust your life to that vision. You begin to adjust your life to what you want to be. What kind of student do you want to be? What kind of teenager do you want to be? What do you want people to say about you at school? What do you want God to say about you? What kind of single do you want to be? What does that look like for you? What kind of parent do you want to be? You get a vision for that. And then you enlist some help. Nehemiah enlisted the help of the people around them. He began to enlist help and said, we're going to do this together. Begin to enlist some help. Begin to enlist some help. Go to FPU. It's time to get out of debt. Go to FPU. Go to Celebrate Recovery. It's Monday nights right here on our campus. Go to Celebrate Recovery and begin the steps of rebuilding in your life. Get in a small group. I was having dinner with my small group just on Thursday night, and we were all gathering together, and there's just conversations that happen and help that happens and encouragement that happens in that setting. Ask someone to be a mentor to you. Ask them to come in and speak into your life. See a counselor. Begin seeing somebody who can help you process through. See, here's what's great about the story of Nehemiah. There are no miracles. It's not like God parted the Red Sea so then everything was fine for them. There's no miracles here. He recognized his brokenness and he started rebuilding. See, you've got to look at what is this vision that God has birthed in you. And here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, is that when you recognize your brokenness, the rebuilding can begin. When you finally come to the place of recognizing your brokenness, then you can start into the process of rebuilding. Well, I want to ask you to do something today. I want to just ask everybody in this room just to close their eyes. I want you to get rid of all the distractions right now. Just close your eyes. And I'm going to list some walls some challenges you might be facing. And here's what I'm going to ask, is if that is you, I just want you to stand. Still with everybody just closing their eyes. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to list some walls. And if that's your wall, I just want you to stand. If you've been affected by the events of October 1st, I want you to stand. I'll give you a minute for anybody else who needs to stand. If you have a habit that needs to be addressed, I want you to stand. There's a habit in your life that you need to address. Still, everybody just keeping their eyes closed. If you've been hurt, 
and you need to take a step towards forgiveness, I want you to stand right now. If you have a broken relationship, maybe it's a broken relationship with your parents or your kids. Maybe it's a broken relationship with a sibling or or a husband or a wife. If you have a broken relationship, I want you to stand. If you're struggling with depression, I want you to stand. You got this weight over you, this cloud. If you're struggling to make a change in your life that you want to make, and you're just struggling making that, I want you to stand right now. I want you to open up your eyes and look around. You're not alone. You are not alone. See, we tell ourselves that there's no one else going through what we're going through. But that's not true. You're not alone. This room is full of people who feel broken. And what is true about all of us is we all feel fragile. We need each other. It's how God has made us. And now is the time to get started in rebuilding. It's time to take the next step. You can't do everything, but you can do something. So I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you just whatever situation you're facing right now. Because we just believe the power of God to meet us is so strong. I actually prayed for you this morning. Before I came in, I was praying that God would meet you at your place of need today. Father, we come to you. God, we are a people who are broken and we need rebuilding. So God, we come to you. We look to you. God, we realize that we are not alone. That you are with us. So God, today... Would you just take us as we are? Would you begin to put these pieces back together? God, would you give us a vision for what wholeness could look like and give us the courage to start taking those steps? God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who loves us to the point of dying for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat.